Commodities, late night movies with Rob, Ben, and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel, most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. I'm Ben. And I got an appeal pending, but it doesn't look good. The victim's whiny family is protesting. <laughs> Arlie Ermey is a treasure, and uh, we should do everything to protect, or we should have done everything to protect him. Like, make sure he's not in this goddamn movie. Because <laughs> most of the time I was like, Arlie Ermey, no, not this movie. <laughs> we are continuing on with the fort year, uh, with, with the end of probably the greatest trilogy of films from 2001, Sugar and Spice, Hannibal and Saving Silverman. It's it's a uh, it's a Hannibal sandwich, I guess. Uh, so this is this is another one, just like Sugar and Spice, where Zach just found the craziest, weird comedies. I think once again in air quotes to have us talk about from two thousand one. And I know we said it at the start of this series. We're gonna have a little switch. I think Ben's going to be the the hater of the movie, as I was for Sugar and Spice. And man, I, I have to say, I hate this movie too, Ben. Don't worry. This, this movie, I think it kind of broke me. There was a part in this movie I was laughing hysterically, but not at the movie. I think just because of what we are doing to ourselves by watching this and Sugar and Spice in such quick succession. And I also have to say, Zach... Why Why did you pick this movie after you saw it was directed by Dennis Dugan? Why are we doing a Dennis Dugan movie? That's, that I didn't <laughs> know it was Dennis Dugan until I found my VHS copy for it. And I saw it at the box set, like from the director of Big Daddy. Oh, and I'm like, oh, no. So, I'm like, oh, no, Dennis Dugan. Dennis Dugan, I, I, once I saw that, I was like, I said the same thing. Oh, no. So I did. A, I, I went down a little Dennis Dugan rabbit hole. Of course, I think he's best known for his uh, when he directs Adam Sandler. In Happy Gilmore, Big Daddy, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, you don't mess with the Zohan, Grown Ups, Grown Ups 2, Just Go With It, and Jack and Jill. He has four total nominations for the worst director at the Razzies. I don't usually look into the Razzies, but you can't avoid it when you look up Dennis Dugan. He has one win for worst director. It's not Jack for this Jill. film. It's, it's actually for a pairing of Jack and Jill and Just Go With It, I'm pretty sure, because they were the same okay, year. Uh, yeah. Is there a greater example in Hollywood of somebody else selling their soul to, like, the devil for success oh, and fame? Oh, no, not at all. And, and I think this is perfectly exemplified by – I found a quote from Dennis Dugan where he said, Audiences that go to my movies don't want a message. They don't want my soul exposed or my life view. They just want to laugh. That's his philosophy of filmmaking, and nobody's laughing, I think. But but I do have to mention on the topic of the Razzies, because Dennis Dugan did not win for this movie, Saving Silverman, in 2001. We're going to be talking about the winner of that category later in this series. Uh, Daddy, would you like some sausage? That's all I'll say. <laughs> so, so Dennis Dugan is um, a cancer on society, I would say. We're going to explain more of that in this movie. But I also found, and this kind of blew me away just from the name, apparently Dennis Dugan directed the pilot and a few episodes of a UPN show, if you remember UPN, everybody, called Shasta McNasty. Just, oh my just God, let that, let that. that sink in. It, the show was called Shasta McNasty. I love that name. I don't know much about this show, 
it's apparently about a band that moves out to L.A. because they have a record deal, but it, when they land in L.A., they find out that the record label went defunct, so they have to f- try and survive in L.A. The other thing I found is apparently there's an episode where they try and get Vern Troyer to be a professional boxer. <laughs> Vern Troyer is mini-me, for everybody that doesn't know, from the Austin Powers movies. So... This is a very strange thing. We might have to do the Shasta McNasty series at a certain point because I am intrigued. But I think I'm in the in the stance that Zach usually takes where I fell into Stockholm syndrome with something terrible. So, Zach, what yeah. what the fuck are we doing with this movie? What the hell are we doing with Saving Silverman? Please please talk while Ben and I uh sign our suicide packs together. <laughs> They're like, we'll just, like, we only have one bolt. We'll make it work for both of us. Just put our heads together. We'll pull the trigger together. This is one of those. This is one of the perfect applications of my my suicide pack joke, where I go, Ben, how about this? If we're not dead in five minutes, we kill ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> and I like how Ben's just sitting there. Like Ben's just like like it's just like Ben's giving up. Like there's hopelessness in those eyes right now. Ben's just like this is it. This is this is the end. This is the movie that did it. I, it took long enough, but we're here. I received a question from uh, a friend about her kid. She wants, he wants to learn programming, and she's asking me. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought you had to. Sh- should I show my kid <laughs> saving silver? <laughs> um, no, I, have, I have to say, thinking about about teaching a twelve year old how to program mobile apps is infinitely more interesting than saving Silverman. <laughs> oh, oh god, it's uh, it's uh, not um, great. So Zach, here we go. Uh, get on your soapbox. Tell us about. How this movie changed this, this your life. Series is beca- this series is becoming very accusatory. I do not. I do. It's not just at the start that. so this far. Is- okay, you know. I mean, you picked the movie, Zach. You did this to us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Zach. This is one hundred percent true. We I want you to feel bad. Imagining the the you know the birthing of a child and the woman's like, "You did this to me." <laughs> that's, that's how this feels. Except that I don't have a child. <laughs> yes yes okay what's our what's our i think my context is symbol i had never seen this movie before i really didn't know much about it uh, i probably saw it on like a comedy central listing on a tv guide at some point in the mid-2000s i would guess but i had no idea what i was getting myself into uh, ben is that the same for you had you not known about this movie at all i, I had never heard of it okay okay uh i mean well maybe i had heard the name but i thought it was sarah silverman or something that <laughs> i know Sure, sure. Um, so, Zach, uh, how how much of your childhood did this form? <laughs> Actually, I have to say probably a lot because oh, I adored this movie growing up. Like I said, I still have my VHS copy. It's one of the few that uh, Jerry didn't want last year when I gave him a bunch of my collection. I Again, I've always loved this. I kind of forgot about the movie, but like I got a specific level, but like general things would sit there uh, – like just kind of like bubble up to the surface. Like one of them is the uh, like people would ask me like, "Oh, where so and so?" And I'll be like, "We ate them alive," and just do that like randomly at times because for some reason that line stuck in my head for like twenty years, and I don't know, it's lived rent free in my brain. Um, I love how uh, Jack Black pronounces the name Clayton. I just find that funny that like Jack Black is what like fourth build in this, and yet he is like infinitely the most interesting interesting in quotation marks character in the entire film he's the only person kind of giving it his all um jason biggs looks like somebody shot him with like a horse tranquilizer and he started acting in this film (laughs) 
I, I I don't know what happened. I'm guessing somebody in his family like killed themselves. Maybe they they read the script and that's what happened while he was filming this. <laughs> um, he, I, I've never seen a more checked out actor in my life. But no, I've always always loved this film and rewatching it for this recording. Like, don't get me wrong. This movie is insane and it's also very like insanely insanely dumb. But I find it highly amusing to the point where, like, like with Sugar and Spice, I'm like, this is product shrug. I will probably defend this film. Like, it's no, it's not a Men, Women, and Children or a Book of Hank. But this movie, I want to say, is a comedic like gem in the rough because I watched the uncut version because apparently there's alternate versions of this, and I all I've ever seen is the theatrical version. And oh boy, I I enjoyed myself. Well, I think uh, Ben and I are happy for you, Zach, but uh, but we don't agree. <laughs> so when I was watching this movie and trying to think of, of what to say about it, the thing that came to mind is it, it's it's probably a gimmick now. I remember it most strongly from Friends. Uh, Joey Tribbiani is an actor, and his friends have to go see him in plays sometimes. And he asked them how the play was, and they say things like, oh, the lighting was really good, or like, oh, the costumes were good. Because the play sucked, and I, that's just kind of how I felt about this movie. I was like, oh, the lighting isn't trash. <laughs> like, <laughs> Everything's in focus. Everything's in... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, uh, I, I, I agree with you, Ben. I don't really like this movie. And I'm kind of, as I was mentioning earlier, I'm kind of on the fence, or I really don't understand my own emotions towards it. Was I finding it funny because something broke in my brain and I felt Stockholm <laughs> Syndrome? Or are there actually funny parts? I think there are some funny bits. There, there's some funny bits, but I, I think I'm going to lean more towards the first uh, for what I just said. Because there's an establishing shot in the back half of the movie of just Amanda Pete chained to a lawn chair with a catcher's helmet on. <laughs> and for some reason, I just started cackling uncontrollably. And that's not funny. I think I was laughing at what my life had become at that moment. <laughs> Yeah, I, I could see that. But, but I honestly think something snapped in my brain when I saw that shot, and I just – I lost it. Like I was – I missed like the next scene because I think I was just cackling uncontrollably. For, it was weird. It was a very strange experience. <laughs> but yeah, this movie's not that good. <laughs> you guys are wrong. This movie, this movie is bonkers. It deserves God. so much more than like people watching it on Comedy Central in like two thousand. Zach, put it, put it, put it away. Pull your pants up, or no more Matlock, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> like this is one of those movies. That, like I would say, it's almost Cat in the Hat level, where I'd love to go through it scene by scene. Like it's, no, well, it's nowhere near as a masterpiece as Cat in the Hat, but I would love love this this dissect this like scene by scene. Let, I, let me give you some context for how much I don't want to do that. <laughs> 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 I, I watched this movie with my fiance and it, it clocks in at under 90 minutes yep. and she gave up <laughs> like she, at some point I think around like 60 minutes or so she was like I'm gonna go clean the kitchen because <laughs> nice do you remember what part of the movie it was she, she kind of like tapped out I don't I don't I I was trying really hard to stay awake and it's just it was a bad time. So I guess I, guess I, uh, I think I want to get at, well, I can kind of see where this movie like got its, its, fun, its foundation, I guess is the way to put it. Because Jason Biggs, of course, American Pie 1 had already happened. And so he is definitely like in that, that zone of, of raunchy comedy guy. Where was Jack Black in 2001? 
Because he's doing his shtick, yeah. He'd been, he'd been around for a while, but, like, it wasn't – like, everybody forgets with Jack Black, like, he'd been around forever. Yes. But, like, he really – he didn't blow up until School of Rock, which wouldn't come for a couple more years. Yes. Well, of course, as we know, Zach, he's in uh, Mr. Show with Bob and David, so. Well, he was also – remember, like, what was it? Mars Attacks. He was Mars also Attacks. in Mag- – was it Magnolia? Was he in Magnolia? I don't know. I don't remember. That's the – is that the Tom Cruise one, right? Yeah. When was Shallow Hell – was that before that was like or after 2001. This? That was same year. Okay, okay. Because then he's he's doing that shtick. I mean... Well, yeah, he did The Cable Guy. Oh, yeah, that's he'd right. He sat the Enemy of the State. Like, he'd been around for, like, at high fidelity. And never mind, like, Tenacious D had been around well before. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And we get Kyle Gass in this movie, which I thoroughly yes. enjoyed. Except he's doing magic tricks, not playing guitar. <laughs> and he gets called fat every 10 seconds. <laughs> So, so I can, I, like I said, I see where this movie got its foundation. They, they had this crazy idea for, I think I even read that the original title of this movie was Evil Woman. And they had the Amanda Peet as this, you know, controlling woman character. They, they wanted to get this, you know, weird raunchiness in there. So I, I get where it's coming from, but it just, it just doesn't come together. Like, I mean, I find it so annoying. Like Jason Biggs' character, like you said, Zach, he's asleep. He's so boring and... His constant, like, oh, I love her, though. She's clearly the worst thing to ever happen in my life, but I love her. And I'm like, shut up. Stop it. And and then Steve Zahn and Jack Black have no chemistry together. I didn't think they worked well together at all. Probably, oh, really? Yeah, I didn't care for any of their stuff, you know? I also don't oh, think, I, thought... I really, I don't really like Steve Zahn in general. <laughs> Steve, that's okay. Like, Jack Black is giving it his all, but Steve Zahn's also, like, like they're trying. Like, and you gotta give them credit. Like, they are working with, with minimal, but I think it works for the most part. Oh, sure. I, I honestly think Amanda Peet played her character very well. I think she's the, she's my, probably my favorite performance in the movie. But uh, she's playing the straight man. That's not hard to do. I, well, whenever you're surrounded by whatever the hell else is happening in this movie, <laughs> it sticks out. Um, but, but I will say, like, so one of the reasons that this movie, like, fell hard for me is that the Amanda Pete, the Devil Woman, mm-hmm. they call her Satan multiple times. Um, the Emperor, she, <laughs> Freddy Krueger, is a psychologist and comically evil. Like when I say comically evil, I don't mean funny. I mean like evil in a way that doesn't exist in normal people without them having like severe repercussions for being that evil. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, She's and- a sociopath. And she's a psychologist, so she should absolutely know that she's fucked up. Yep. This, I, I that do... the whole point of the movie? That everybody in this movie is fucked up on a different level? They all have very... I, well, I guess that was the I was about to I don't know. I was about to say they all have their problems, but this was 2001, early 2001, and one of the problems of our characters is that he's gay. So <laughs> they don't all have problems. They have early 2000s problems. So I'm with you, Zach. I, I guess that could be considered a point of the movie. <laughs> if if you're it's, grasping at something. <laughs> it felt like an, an attribute. I mean, everybody has their problem, you know? Like that but just... I think everybody but everybody in the movie, except for what? the Like, oh, God, what's her name? Sandy? Like, oh, everybody nun, has an yeah. issue. Well, her, her Sandy's issue is that uh, her, her trapeze partner named Luigi Panini died. <laughs> His name is Luigi Panini. <laughs> people not like that that's when a you first that, draft like, name right there they were I like know, okay done <laughs> Let, let's clock out for the this, day i came up with luigi panini let's go to lunch <laughs> i know but i love the fact that's how just transparent it is i love it like literally that was the first draft they went with it i find that highly amusing 
Do we have to go through the men, women, and children thing again, Rob, where you and I explain, like, how we each view comedy? Uh, well, and we're that... like, I love it when things aren't – I like <laughs> – Rob's like, I want, I want something that's baked. And I'm like, I want, it, I, I want someone to take a pie, <laughs> put it in the oven, let it, like, barely let go of it, and immediately take it back out and be like, okay, we're finished. Like, I want to be eating raw – like filling That's <laughs> that is what I this want. movie this is this movie's raw i mean like even as you were saying ben amanda pete as our as our evil person our, our i guess antagonist i do find it crazy that the movie establishes this before we even know her the movie kind of starts with the whole neil diamond nonsense but then the three main characters are in this hawaiian themed bar amanda pete shows up with a book and looks like she is legitimately <laughs> trying to read it and I'm like, yes. who the fuck does that? Like, who goes to a loud bar to read and actually well, read? So, not only who does that, <laughs> but for her character in particular, why the fuck would she go to that bar? Yes, yes. Like, what part of her personality indicates that she would have any interest in being in that bar? And I think this is what you're saying, Zach. It's raw. They were like, how do we get this character involved? Well, they're at a Hawaiian-themed bar all dressed like Neil Diamond. She walks in. What is she doing there? Ah. Uh, book okay <laughs> they didn't even ask what is she doing there they were just like how do we put them in the same location and somebody was else was like well she could walk in <laughs> yep and then it's like but 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 what does she have in her hand a pocketbook no book she's studied <laughs> and i mean even before that you get the uh the apps like jack black just goes on his shtick immediately with that whole yep. thing where what Jason Biggs like hits on the woman and she's like, I'm taken by a mime. And then Jack Black's like, what does a mime look like when he's having sex? And the punchline is him going, I'm a mime, I'm a mime, I'm a mime. And I'm like, oh my God. Dude, you don't want a chick who would do a mime. Dude, what does a mime look like when he's having sex? Anyway, it's probably like, oh, oh, I'm a mime, I'm a mime. <laughs> what? I'm like, did I, like, take drugs and not know it? Like, what is going on with this movie? <laughs> that, okay. Oh, I will concede there are those moments in this where it gets really, like, lowest common denominator. Like, insert fart joke here. Like, I, I, I will not argue that. That is generous. In, insert mm -hmm. uh, uh, auto-oral auto sex when Steve's on naked folded over like a pretzel. That is a very arresting image. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that came on the screen, like, it cuts to that, and I'm like, whoa, why am I seeing this? <laughs> but, like, I love the parts, too. Like, okay, yes, Jack Black is, like, dialing up his shtick numerous times in this, but I also love how we have, like, the flashback of when they get, like, uh, what, a restraining order against Neil Diamond, and he, like, like crosses the barricade. He's like, Neil, I love you. I want to party with you, Neil. And Neil, yep. just, Neil Diamond's just like, like, I love that. I just, like, it's stupid stuff like that. Like, is this trash? Yes. But it it's a hot dog. It's cinematic hot dogs. It's not good. It's made up of like butts, boots, and like dead pigeons. But like, you know what? And if I had encountered it when I was eight, it would have made me throw up. <laughs> hey, I ate it at eight years old. And fast forward like like sixteen years, and I come across men, women, and children, and I lose my mind. Oh god! Oh. Men, women, and children is the evolution of saving Silverman. Tell me I'm wrong, Rob. God. I, I see where you're coming from. Absolutely, I'm wrong, Rob. It's got much. Too... You wanted... <laughs> it's got it's got too much Reitman in it. <laughs> Men, women, and children. I mean, so what? I definitely find this movie. You know, when I was watching it, and and I was not enjoying it. 
I definitely <laughs> kind of got in the sense of like, there's stuff in here that is so absurd, I should be into it, but it just falls flat for me. Because the movie definitely starts to get straight up absurd when uh, Amanda Peet and Jason Biggs get in the relationship. Steve Zahn and Jack Black are like, oh, it's tearing our friendship apart. And I think it first starts when they're like, Jason Biggs got ass implants for this chick. And it shows the ass implant scene. And I'm like, okay, this is crazy. Uh, and then I expect their kidnapping to be foiled, but they actually succeed after they taser. They dig up a body to fake a death. Like, this is absurd. <laughs> it should work for me, but okay, it doesn't. Okay. Pause. Pause. That is great. Okay, I want no, no, like they kidnap Judith, and they're like, okay, like, they, like I forget, like, Jason Biggs says something like, well, there's no body. She must be alive. Yes. And next thing we knew, we cut to an establishing shot of, like, a cemetery as they're basically grave robbing. And Jack Black is digging the thing as Steve Zahn's talking, and, he, and you hear, like, dude, this dead chick is stacked. And, like, it just – it makes that hard left turn into just, like, absurdistville. And the next thing we know, they have Judith's BMWs. They're pushing it over the, over the cliff, and Jack Black's coat gets caught in it. And it's like, dude, I'm stuck, so take your jacket off. But I love this jacket. Lose the jacket. Okay. And, like, it's that level of absurdism that just kind of, like, comes out of nowhere. Because, yes, is this, like, dumb Adam Shan uh, Sandler shtick? Absolutely. But you do get those weird moments. Like, I don't care what Adam Sandler movie you're watching from the 90s, 2000s, 2010s. There's no point where he's sitting there grave robbing a woman. And he's like, dude, look at, the, look at this dead woman's chest. And then, like, you see Jason Biggs on TV watching. It's funny. She, his fiance dies, and he's learning about it from, like, the 10 p.m. news. And at the very end, they're like, in unrelated events, a local woman's grave was, was got pillaged. And I just laugh. Like, I don't know why. Like, and comedy is inherently subjective. I concede that. But, like, I found that moment nothing sort of incredible. Like I said, it's absurd. I it should work for me, but it just does not come together. And I think I think getting back, you know, comparing this to something like Sugar and Spice, this is where I'm, I think I'm flipped from Ben. I liked this more than Sugar and Spice, even though I dislike both movies, because at least this movie has that absurdity in it. Like we said in Sugar and Spice, that is so safe that at least this has something that's a little more crazier. Even if it didn't work for me, I can acknowledge that, I think. Well, even take the fact that Sandy's family is, like, from, like, the freak show. You have, like, the bearded woman, the strong man, and the dog-faced boy. Yep. It's like, why is that there? Like, just say, like, oh, her, like, say her family family was acrobats. And yet they actually went through the effort, probably, of taking some actor and applying probably six hours of dog-boy makeup to him just to have it for, like, what, two shots? <laughs> Like, come on. Like, there is effort here. Like, that's the thing. Like, I'm willing to reward it when they try. Sure, sure. I mean, there's definitely more effort in this than uh, Sugar and Spice. I'll give you that. But I, the point being is that, like, I would say, like, take any comedy released on Netflix in 2020, and I would say Saving Silverman is infinitely better than all of them. That's interesting. Remember, the part of the series beyond the fact is, like, what how this helped cause 9-11 is also, like – Something that was bottom of the barrel in 2001, which is 100% what this was back in the day, I say is infinitely better than any comedy released on a streaming service last year. Because 9-11 already happened, so it can't cause well, it? <laughs> I, well, maybe, but at the same time, though, it's the idea that like things are only getting worse. Like, come on. Like, take, I take like, the, like okay, wasn't there an Adam, uh, Andy Samberg movie where something, something, like he's trying to get engaged to a woman. They're like in Hawaii together. I saw oh, that like Palm Springs. Yeah, I don't even know what the plot is. All I know is Andy Samberg beach movie. It's a Groundhog like, Day. 
Groundhog Day. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's, a, it's a time so, loop, I'm pretty sure. I could guarantee you right now the grave digging scene in Saving Silverman is better than that entire movie. I'm pretty sure I've that heard right that now. Palm Springs starts – the op- one of the opening scenes is Andy Samberg masturbating furiously. I'm pretty sure I heard that. <laughs> but, the, but does he fuck a wedding dress? <laughs> no, we'll never get we'll never get another. That's my boy, because Dennis Dugan did not direct that. Thankfully, <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, I hear what you're saying, Zach. It's just, oh god, it's just. I don't know. Like I said, for some, I don't. I can't really put my finger on it why it didn't come together for me. But that absurdity, okay, on paper, Arlie, I, okay. I, I I enjoy. Look at it. our take. Arlie, Arlie Ermy's entire character in this movie. We introduced to him as the coach, and he's essentially what? Um, oh my god, who was who was the coach? Oh God, uh, Bobby Knight. He's essentially like Bobby. Oh Knight. sure, <laughs> and, and he's and he's like, like easily aggravated and all that. And we find out that he's in prison because like a touchdown was called what out of bounds. Yeah, and so he yeah. takes like the like the down marker, chucks it across the sky of spirit, and impales a ref with it. And then like you said, you have the quote where like like how you do it, coach. It's like I'm getting the appeal though. But the victim's family's whining. Yes. It's like that's great. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean Arlie Ermy, like I said, is a treasure. Yeah, the, the coach might have been the best part of this movie. Um, when they come to him and they're like, "We kidnapped somebody," and his response is, "Kill him, yes, kill her." I did like that, and I really I, wanted them to kill her. <laughs> I, yeah, that was. I mean, whenever before they asked him, what I thought was they they have to kill her. Like they're they're go like they're in that situation where. Anything they do will lead to them being arrested. So the their best chance is hide the evidence as, as much as possible. You know. Yeah. No, I I think I agree with you. And in terms of comedy, I think Arlie Ermy works the best. If that's what you're saying, Ben, because at least it's something a little goofy and it's not overused. Like you know, you can get tired of Jack Black in this movie and Steve Zahn because there's such a focus. But at least Arlie Ermy is kind of sprinkled throughout. I love him jumping out of the truck at the end when he's like. I forget why he even jumps out of the truck or to get the cops off their tail. He's he's not. No, that's the best part is that like if you look at that scene, there's just a cop car behind them. It's not pursuing yes. them. He <laughs> just automatically assumes they're coming after him. And he's like, he pulls out, he pulls out an Uzi. They're like, where'd you get that from? And he's like, I'd rather go out in a hail of gunfire than sit there, go back to the big house. And he's like, just jumps out of the thing. He goes rolling, gets hit by like three cars and goes sliding onto the curb. Like that is just like, again, it's absurdism. Yes. Like it's that, it's, it's that absurdism that we don't get anymore. And I think that's what I found about this is like, it was weirdly refreshing. Have you seen uh the kimber was it Kim- kimmy schmidt the unbreakable <laughs> yeah you you want to tell me that that series exists and we don't get absurdism anymore no but that's like 30 rock absurdism like it's it's that level of just low it's it's steve carell this like oh god what's it's that office joke that i'll always hate where like steve carell has like oh like he wants people to do different things like oh like it's a, like, to address what like stereotypes everyone gets like little like name tags that say like different things and they gave the black guy the black guy name card and it's like what's the joke it's like it's like oh ha 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 the black guy has to act black and it's like again it's that just it's the, not absurdism the joke, the joke is that it's awkward but i don't yeah, think exactly. that's absurd it's some but that's what I mean, though. But that's what Kimmy Schmidt is. Like, who's it, Titus? And, like, oh, the whole joke is that, like, he's a gay man. He makes things awkward. Kimmy Schmidt was locked in, like, a bunker for, like, how many years? Like, uh, John Hamm is, like, a weird, like, evangelical that, like, like brainwashes women. Isn't it awkward? And, like, that's the thing. Is that, like, it's the, like, you said it perfectly, Ben. It's that awkward, just, like, 
NBC sitcom humor. They're like, is Saving Silverman awkward? No, it's absurd. Like, it goes well beyond that boundary, in my opinion. I, it's I dialed up more. Yeah, it's I dialed that. up more. I, I I do agree with you, Ben, that there is some level of absurdism in like Kimmy Schmidt, but it's it's a different. It's more of like social absurdism, you know, like the whole fish out of water coming back into society. Like I remember that first season where what her rich friend is like, my husband is leaving me, and she's, like, bawling out crying. She's like, this is the worst thing to happen to any woman ever. And Kimmy Schmidt's, like, you know, taken aback by this. It's that same kind of thing of, like, it's absurd because they're just pushing, like, these concepts. Where I think this movie is what Zach's getting at. It's absurd in the sense that Arlie Ermey literally just, like, leans out of a car, and he ends up sliding 50 feet across the ground, that type of thing. Gets hit by numerous cars, then goes sliding across <laughs> the street. And that's the thing. Like, and you have that even with the um, like with Steve Zahn. And like Judith, Judith escapes the first time, and like they're chasing her like through the neighborhood. And Jack Black has like the like the night vision goggles on, and she goes like she steals their van and goes to the police station. Steve Zahn's just waiting for her there, and he has to like quick get a blanket out of the truck, and two cops come out. And his look, and he's like, oh, man, you know, it's those killer goats, man, just escaped from the zoo. And the cops just look at it like, good job, nicely done. And it's like, all right, let me make sure you folks are nice and safe. These killer goats are everywhere. And it's like, and it's just that, though. Like, that's the sort of thing where it's just like, it's the absurd nature of it. Is that, like, if this was The Office, it'd be five minutes of painful dialogue of Steve Carell just, like, stammering over himself. And, like, again, like, I think Ben put it perfectly. For As Rob can tell you, for years, I've been trying to figure out what to call it. And, like, it's, like, it's perfect. It's awkward humor. And awkward humor isn't funny when it's literally everywhere. Uh, awkward, and I think, you know, the more modern version of this absurdism is definitely um, getting at a certain level of cringiness. That I don't oh, think yeah. is is apparent in Saving Silverman. I mean, there's some cringy ideas, but it's like the the awkwardness, the cringiness is basically like what the the office is thrives or the U.S. office thrives on. Is it's just like Steve Carell is unintelligent, has no filter, doesn't understand how other people feel, and that how much cringe can we get out of that? And then when that gets too overbearing, let's switch to maybe John Krasinski and and Pam will get together. Maybe they won't. That's it. But like, okay, and that's the thing though. Like, and not to make this into a thing about how like NBC sitcom humor is is like cancer. But like, when I think of stuff, like when I think of modern comedy, when people say, like, "Oh, do you watch The Office?" I think of like it's like the meme I or like the clip I've seen online of Aubrey Plaza and Chris Pratt, and he's like, "Doctor, why wipe my ass? I have to go through like a roll of toilet paper. How like why is it that way?" And I'm like, this is funny. I'm like, it's not funny. I'm like, I definitely did not understand that. That clip has come up so much online from Parks and Rec, and I'm like, this is just toilet humor. Like, there, there's, uh, like, I've seen all of Parks and Rec. There are better scenes than toilet humor. There's actually crafted jokes that isn't just, you know, oh, is the, isn't this crazy? Nobody talks about it, but we're talking about it. I think that's at that that level of cringe that I was mentioning. But no, sure. Like, I, and I agree with you 100 percent on that. And that's why I think that why Saving Silverman is so refreshing, because it's so outside those bounds of what we're used to and or what we're, we've acclimated to maybe is the correct term. And that's why, like, you think about it. Like, I know, like, you look at all these shows that like whether it be The Office, Parks and Rec, 30 Rock, it's all the same exact thing. It's like whether it be Steve Carell, Tina Fey, uh, Amy Poehler, they're all the same character. 
I know what you're getting at, but that's more the, the Lorne Michaels, the Lorne Michaels machine, right? But that, but but that's what's popular, though. Like, I, sure, it's the Lorne Michaels machine, but that's what's popular. That there's a reason why, like, The Office started like 16 years ago, and it's been off the air for how many years, and yet it's still the dominating force in what's considered like comedic. Te- I don't want to say television or comedic, what sitcoms? It's still mm-hmm. like the model. It's the template. Oh, sure. And yet, like you. And that's why, like, with Saving Silverman, that, like, I love it. It might not be objectively good, but I love it because it's at least different. It's – it's what's the word? I don't want to say a palate cleanser because that's not what it is. <laughs> but it's so far outside of what we're told to consume. I like it for that reason. Because even if you go back to, like – I'm trying to like, – what was popular comedy in 2001? Is that, like, like – I can't – I couldn't even tell you. Like, what was the popular sitcom, Friends? And say what you want about Friends, but at least Friends was trying to do its own thing at the time. Like look at like you had like like juxtapose Ben, I said it right this time. <laughs> um like 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 Friends to Frasier. Sure. Like they're completely different. Like com- like night like sure it's the same idea of a bunch of people like going through just living their life, but at the end of the day, like they're night and day. And mm. I think that's the thing, and not to bring but again, the point of this is that comparison of what is popular today versus what was popular back in the day. And keep in mind, like four years after this is Steve Carell, the office. They're not that far removed. Sure. Like when it comes to just like entertainment comedy and Dennis Dugan, as much as he is someone who made a deal with the devil, he is somebody that for a while there has finger on the pulse of what popular comedies were. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it, it, he did happy. Well, he's right which, or wrong. Sure. But people still uh, have, big daddy. Even people still talk about, you know, as those classic comedies. But that's the thing, though. That's just what I find interesting. And this is where, like, I find it. Like, think about it. We're like one of the office end 2014. So, yeah. Pr- early, early 2010s. I'm sure. OK. I think about that. Like we're like what? Five plus years removed from that. And that was the last, because what, Parks and Rec in 30 Rock ended before The Office, right? No, Parks and Rec was after, I'm pretty sure. Ended okay, after, but at least, yeah. Sure, but the point is being, though, is that, like, more people watched Big Daddy in theaters than probably ever watched any of those shows, any of these sitcoms. Yet, somehow, all these Dennis Dugan movies have all kind of, like, I don't want to say faded from the public consciousness, but The Office is still as, what, ubiquitous? Probably more so now than it's ever been. Like, there's a reason why all these streaming services are paying, like, like nine figures for the rights of these shows. Oh, absolutely, there's a reason. yeah. That it's weird that how they resonate in stuff of this time period, like, like in theaters, hasn't. Like, like, if you showed a 15-year-old today Big Daddy versus The Office, they would glom onto The Office immediately, and they'd probably reject Big Daddy. And I think all three of us would agree Big Daddy, for the most part, is a pretty good – like, for what it is, it's a pretty good film. I don't think it's yeah, just like, tame, but for what it's attempting. I liked Happy Gilmore, too. I mean, I was into those Adam Sandler movies at least for a while. That's that's my period of Adam Sandler. Absolutely that. Uh, and I know he, Dennis Dugan didn't do uh, Billy Madison, but Billy Madison's probably my favorite. <laughs> Billy Madison's dope. That was a good movie. But that's the thing, though. Is yeah. like, I just find it interesting how certain things have been accepted. And like we said, like, is there – like, think about it. We have Jack Black talking about how, like, oh, like how he's gay in this. Is that any more jarring of a comedic event than watching Chris Pratt talk about how he wipes his ass and he can't clean it? Like, they're both, like, like at the end of the day, not really funny. 
Yet somehow we're told like the like the culture, the zeitgeist is telling us Chris Pratt's ass is funny. And it's like, no, neither one of them is funny. Yeah, I find it interesting that somehow the zeitgeist has glommed onto one in such a god deep manner versus the other. And I know there's a lot of philosophical stuff I'm kind of just pinballing with here, but I hope the overall point I'm trying to convey is I don't understand considering how subjective comedy is. I don't get how something that's so like why one thing that's irreverent is so much better than something that's just as equally irreverent. It's a, it is an interesting idea, and I actually think this is getting at something that um uh, we talked about when you were not on Cinemodity, Zach, when we did the uh, the uh, the spoof movies series. I know Ben and I when we did High Anxiety, we talked a lot about meme culture, and I, I think there is something to say that you know the the turn of our culture to wanting more something more like instant gratification something that's shorter something that's quicker does lend to that change in the zeitgeist that you're talking about zach like i think there's a reason that you know well there's so many episodes of the office or parks and rec but what do people remember about them they remember the things that for some reason a lot of people find funny that get cut out looped on the internet like that scene with chris pratt or like you know i think um Steve Carell screaming no a bunch of times. I've seen that one a lot as well. And I think there is something there that, you know, back in 2001, we weren't yet at that instant gratification culture. And then when we when we got there, when we are there now, that's what people want. They want to say like, oh, I can watch this in 21 minutes on Netflix. I can pick out one good thing. And that's why I think it's good, if that makes sense. They're going to see oh, no, this movie sure. and spend too much time and go, there was a lot I didn't like. Sure. No, I, I. You're not wrong, but I think that's. A, I think the thing is, though, is that like Saving Silverman did not make money at the time. Sure, sure. And I think that's why I find interesting. Like you, you guys' complaints, they're not exclusive to you two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I find that just interesting. That like how there's different shades of irreverence that somehow people are saying is okay versus others not. Like I get like by today's standards, the whole Jack Black like gay thing wouldn't be allowed. Yeah. Um, like that wouldn't be allowed though. But you still have that same level of like irreverence of like, oh, like they they, they tell Arlie Ermy like he comes, he's like, he's like, I need to use your restroom, boys. And he's like, use the lawn. And like the lawn, yeah, it saves money on the water bill. Like I could very easily imagine, I don't know. Chris Pratt saying that to Aubrey Plaza in, in in Park in what was it Parks and Rec and it be considered the greatest thing ever. That, that yeah, in I this see context, it's rejected. Yeah, and I think that's my issue. You could literally replace dialogue with this with contemporary actors, and it would be considered okay. And that's why I don't get how something like this was rejected at the time. Never mind, like nowadays, it's like the definition of obscure. Yeah, that that's an interesting idea, absolutely. But you're right that that uh, that toilet humor type of thing. You could take it from this movie, supplant it with more modern people, and there's a lot vocal people on the internet that would probably love it to death. I I could guarantee you right now, you take this, you take this, you could transcribe this film and recast all the actors. Do not change any of the dialogue, not change anything, and you sit there, cast it with NBC sitcom actors, put it on Netflix, Hulu, whatever, and it would become instantly popular overnight. It would shoot to the top of the streaming service, whoever streaming service it would be on. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced. Okay, interesting. I, Tell me I'm wrong, Ben. Tell me. I, I'm wrong. I mean, I see where you're coming from, but I, I just, I don't, I don't agree because something fell flat, and I don't think it was just the actors or their performances. Um, I, I don't, I don't think it's like 
I don't think it's that either. Cause I think everybody in this movie is doing a serviceable job. I don't think there's a bad performance considering what they're given. As much as I laugh about Jason Biggs not being a good actor, he's doing exactly probably what he was told. Um, right. Like he has, like Jason Biggs has done things where he's good. So he has that ability. It all comes down to direction, which I know Robin and I have argued about a lot over time. I don't like blaming actors. I like blaming directors, but I think it's just the idea that like we, we've come to a thing where like the hegemony of the culture dictates what's funny and people don't dictate what they think is funny anymore or like you two like, like it's like rob said like like his stockholm syndrome with this film is that rob's able to look at this and be like overall this is a uh less than ideal film yet there's parts of this that i do find funny where i would imagine most people would just throw the baby out with the bathwater and just be like sure. nope like, like i reject this like part and parcel like there's nothing like I, it's all or nothing i mean i definitely also found parts of it funny it just wasn't enough to like redeem it, I guess. In, in well, terms I of guess like, when I watched this movie again, sure. And I, I think, yeah, I think that's the that's the thing where we're all coming from is that you know we can not like a movie, but f- know that there's good things in it. Where I think the culture more today is, you know, it's 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 binary. You know, like if a movie's bad, everything's bad about it. I definitely hear that a lot from from people. I I, I let's do it again. Let's poke fun at our favorite punching bag, Justin with Southland Tales. <laughs> Like, like I, I remember that conversation, Ben, where I'm like, this movie's amazing, I love everything about it. Ben's like, I agree with you, this movie is so well shot and looks great, but I didn't like it. And Justin was the one who said, this movie is a failure on every level. And it's like, why? And he goes, because I didn't like it. There's yeah. a big difference between not liking and, like Zach said, throwing it all out, and being like, this movie didn't work for me, but I realize that, you know, if the whole movie is filmed a certain way, it gives it a certain look, and that's interesting. That, that example of Southland Tales. Sure. But, but my question is, is like, how, like, and this is the whole point of going back to 2001, beyond Cinematis' weird obsession with 9-11, that's mostly <laughs> my fault, is that, like, how did we get here? Like, that's part of the thing, too. Like, like we, this podcast now is going on, what, its third year? And it's trying to figure out why, and again, this is considering the first time we've ever done, like, an entire, like, what? Two seasons that movies spring and summer of 2001. It's trying to discern in a major turning point in not, not just entertainment culture, but in American culture, what happened? What led us on this path? And I think that is kind of one of the like underlying goals of this series mm-hmm. is figuring out how our taste shifted. And now we're at like almost a point of what cultural stagnation. Like I remember like, remember, Oh God, I remember boyhood directed by uh, Richard Linklater. Remember oh, that? God. It was like, I remember that whole thing. Like what is that? The 12 year movie. movie? Yeah. Everyone's like, isn't this amazing? And I'm like, no, it's a it's a production nightmare, but it's not amazing. <laughs> and it's like – and that's the thing is that like we've come to a point where like in four years, comedy changed so much mm-hmm. from 2001 to 2005. Yet in the like five years since The Office has been off the air, comedy has stagnated. Yeah. I, I mean I, I definitely – once again, I think it goes back to what Ben and I talked about months ago with the – um the the instant gratification meme culture the repetition i i definitely believe that stagnation has a lot to is do that with what, that is it the repetition that's created the stagnation i completely believe that because right now and for the last few years we have been living in a a, a culture of comedy that is template based you have the same comic you erase the words put something different and people regard it as something new and if that's not stagnation to me i don't know what is well, I, I think that honestly, smartphones are to blame for this. Okay, well, sure. It, sure. It, but, but, no, for it, ex- yeah. Expand on that's an interesting take, Ben. Keep going. I, I mean, the mean? ability the ability to consume 
that much information. So, like, let's let's take for instance, like, let's say you're a nine to fiver, and the only time you get to look at your phone is in the bathroom. Like, what do you have time for? Sure. Okay. You have you have time you have time for what scrolling Reddit and maybe getting a few chuckles and like memes are are a vehicle to deal with the fact that the that people are consuming this in smartphone form like you're smart like watching watching movie like i watch adventure time on on a smartphone once in a while but like that's not the way you watch adventure time i agree <laughs> that's not the way you should watch adventure time it's not the way you should watch anything really Woo! what can you do on your smartphone smartphone exactly okay yeah interesting i like i like that take for sure and and yeah i think that that that's kind of you know maybe even like like we've been saying added to the stagnation because once people got used to that 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 quick you know in the situations where that's all they had access to, it became so comfortable that when there's an opportunity for something else, it's one of the things that always angers me, and I've been guilty of, of sometimes, where it's like, I won't start a two-hour movie, but I will sit down and watch, like, you know, 20-minute TV shows for three hours. And I think people do that a lot. They're like, why would I watch this two-hour movie? I can just watch six episodes of The Office again. And I feel like that's led to a lot of the stuff where people have gotten comfortable with this smartphone culture that you just described, Ben. And it's bled into the cases where we didn't need that smartphone culture. Well, and there, there's also like as as I've transitioned out of out of university and into the working world, my time is significantly more valuable to me now. Mm-hmm. Like when I have free time, that's that's the exception, not the rule. Sure, sure. Uh, and so if I'm going to consume something, I either want to make sure that I'm going to enjoy it and therefore go with something I'm familiar with, or I want it to be short enough that if I don't enjoy it, it doesn't suck up the whole day. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. like that's, or, you know, the whole chunk of time I have. So like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely like a certain amount of, of, like, I don't know if, if laziness is exactly the right word, uh, but there, there's a certain amount of like necessity almost for these things to be digestible mm-hmm. um and like th- this kind of started with twitter back in the day but it has grown a lot since then oh yeah okay uh, of course okay. it comes back to the social that... media good <laughs> but but this is the thing though but like ben is a hundred percent on like he's a hundred percent right but like there's still only 24 hours in the day our lives are still like we are like our jobs are becoming more and more efficient at our jobs thanks to technology. There's no reason why like back in the day where someone had to commute like an hour each way to work and then only have a finite amount of time like on weekends that they would still choose to go to a movie theater. And now like Ben's right. Like it's the idea that you want to consume something that like you know you're going to like. But like it's weird that like it's almost as if like that philosophy of like and again he's hundred percent correct in that like like I only have so many hours in a day I want to consume something that I know I'm going to like mm-hmm. so like I don't feel like I wasted my time. We're human. But like twenty years ago, we were much more open to sort of new things, and somehow now we're supposed to be infinitely more open minded and liberal thinking when it comes to entertainment. Our our preferences we, have narrowed. We have we had significantly less control over what we consumed back then. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, we that, we but, consumed what was available. Like if if you wanted to see a new movie, you either had to go rent a movie or go to the movies. Now it's like fucking open Netflix, and you have all this shit at the palm of your finger, or, you know, at your fingertips. It's but, like, but I have access to the things that I know I like. Whereas before, but you know, wait. But you always had that, though. Like, whether it be Netflix or Blockbuster, you always had that opportunity. Like, you always had options. Like, sure, you could sit there, like, rent Terminator 2 again on a Friday night. 
or you could rent Saving Silverman. But like you also you, have to to take in mind that you are paying for a rental, like you're paying for the specific individual rental. Whereas with Netflix, you're paying for a service. So sure. the fact that you're rewatching the same thing doesn't feel like you're spending money to rewatch the same thing. Whereas but if you're renting a movie again, like you know you're spending that money to rewatch that movie. Sure, but but that gets to the crux of one of the points you brought up: the idea of familiarity and save. So, like, let's pretend that it's, like, the summer of 2001. You can rent a movie you've seen before and you know you love, or you can rent something new. And at the time, in, two, in like, or, like, with Netflix, where you're spending, what? What's Netflix's current rate? Like, what, $12 a month? Something like $17, that. $17,000 a month. <laughs> $17,000 a month. Firstborn, and, yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's, like, like, but nowadays you have more freedom and more of a luxury. To, like, it's almost more of an invitation to look at new things. Because if you don't like it, you can you don't feel jip if you don't like it. Where somehow people were I think about it, like you were saying, Ben, like back in the day, Blockbuster would charge you what, like four days for like a two, three day rental. So if you did choose something wrong or something you didn't like, you felt much more ripped off at the moment. Whereas now you're only spending twelve dollars a month and you can be like, okay, you cut your losses and you move on. Yet with that freedom, we've become even more again, laser focused in what we'll view relative to back in the day where we felt we were more exposed yet somehow more forgiving. Freedom allows you to do what you want. So this is uh, something that was kind of unexpected in, I think one of the Switzerland or Sweden or somewhere, they put an effort to, to kind of make men and women employment opportunities as equal as possible. And what they found is that, is that, that people kind of bifurcated and and men and women did very different things as opposed to uh, not, not from each other, but diff- different from the, from, you know, across the sexes. So like women were way more likely to go into the personal care kind of professions where men is way more like, were male, way more likely to go into engineering or th- having jobs that had to do with things. What I'm getting at though, is that we expected that giving them the freedom to move across the entire spectrum of employment would make it so that more people moved across the entire spectrum of employment, and that's not what happened. Giving people freedom made them focus on the things that they wanted. So it comes down to the philosophy that if you give the human brain more than like a dozen choices, it shuts down, goes back to what's safe. That's exactly what I was about to say, because whenever this comes up, it's one of my favorite things to talk about, the, the modern plague of option paralysis. Uh, when you give so many people netflix they go this is overwhelming i'm gonna go to my recently watched and watch the office again or watch you know law and order again which i'm guilty of watch adventure time again i think option paralysis plays a big role in it that we have we have these options and it's much more convenient and easy and free to to reach them and that that messes with us to some extent well and you also have taken take into account that making choices actually costs you resources Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's option paralysis where when you're, when you're overloaded with too many options and it would take too much effort to sort through them. But there's also the situation where if you make a lot of choices in your daily life, like you eventually run out of the ability to some degree to make choices. Oh yeah. Yep. And so you, you, you know, you, you fall into that default pattern for that additional reason. And so I guess what I'm getting at is, is at least at the end of the workday when somebody's tired. They're not going to choose something new. If they're going to watch something they haven't seen before, it's because they already knew they were going to watch it. Sure, sure. But this is like, okay, and again, this is one of those instances where you're correct, Ben. 
But at the same time, though, we've all again. There's always been 24 hours in a day. We're all there's always the philosophy. I mean, like I've told Rob before, if only I could add six more business hours to a day, I could solve most of my problems. It's that thing is like we, we're always stressed for time to do things. It's not just time though. It's it's the mental resources of making. Is that what it is? Oh yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the, that's, the, been, that's always been a constant forever. Yes, but. But again, this comes back to what's available. Like your blockbuster, it only rented out movies for a certain amount of time before it had to rotate in new ones. Like eventually, you would be forced to to watch something new because your movie would be gone. But if, even if you were that, renting but, movies, but don't all the streaming services do that? Like for the most yes, part, outside do, of like the Disney's and over a, like that, a that much larger length of time. Yeah, it's a much grander time scale. We're, Is it we're really? Talking, I always see oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I think Net House was on Netflix for something like eight or nine years until they removed it. Oh, yeah. I always see the articles online about like what's leaving Netflix for this month. Usually, yeah, like at yeah, the end so, of a month. Generally, as far as I remember, the the ones I've seen are that like every year Netflix has to to renegotiate its contracts essentially. Yep. And so, like, if they decide that something's not worth keeping, they don't, and then that will get removed. But it, they get removed at the end of years, I believe. Whereas yeah. with with and, and that's only if they decide it's not worth keeping. And so, you know, there were a lot of things like uh, most movies. I don't think stayed in in movie rental shops for more than a couple months. But no, but you know, like new, but like you like the new releases. They always had multiple copies of. But then things would get kind of like I don't want to say retired, but they would go to the floor and they'd stay there depending on their popularity. Oh yeah, so you're talking you're talking about the aisles where you can't not- see all of the covers. And like those are not going to get nearly as much attention. Sure, of, That's of course. Be way harder to find. Like, well, they, people... uh, well, why not get my blockbuster? And obviously, like again, if you've been to one blockbuster, you've been to them all. <laughs> like again, and I'm thinking about or again, I'm thinking of 2001's blockbuster. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to juxtapose. Oh <laughs> we we knew it couldn't. It was too good to be true. <laughs> I know, I know. <sighs> juxtaposition, juxtaposition, whatever. I, I, okay, you get my point. I know, I know. I'm gonna have to sit in front. I'm gonna have to get the phonetic pronunciation to sit in front of the mirror for a few hours. <laughs> um, but the point being is that we're doing a comparison between 2001 to now, and that's what I'm kind of trying to get at. Like, you go to a blockbuster, and I get it. Netflix's catalog, Hulu, Disney Plus, it's infinitely larger than anything that could fit physically tangically inside a retail brick and mortar location but and i guess i think ben kind of like explained it away by the argument of the more options you give you'd expect people to wander outside their safe zone but i guess they don't mm-hmm. and i guess that's the point of cinematis is that like oh there's a reason why like yes we do things like wonder woman like like we do things like flay a tenant but at the same time like we're only like when we do pick these big things, we do them because we're trying to look at them in a different light. Yes, absolutely. And there's a reason why, like, we're doing Saving Silverman and Sugar and Spice over, I don't know, what came out in January. Like, I, I don't know, what's something that came out in 2001 that was like the perfect storm. Oh, like okay. something like that, where it's like something that everybody's seen on TNT before in their mm-hmm. lives. Yep. And that's what I'm trying to get at here. And this is bringing us back to Saving Silverman after like a 45 minute diatribe. Is that there's something special about this film, whether you see it as good special, as in like short bus special, it comes <laughs> down to that thing of like, there's something unique about it. At least how I see it. Like, obviously, I'm not there's trying to dictate. Definitely the... something unique about it. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. you as well, Zach. Absolutely. No, you're you're not wrong. 
but that's the thing though is like when this came out in 2001 it was meant to be just like cookie cutter yeah dennis dugan like a different shade of adam sandler launch nonsense jason big launch nonsense and yet 20 years later we look at it and be like huh people in 2001 couldn't realize this was different and yet now we're finally getting at that Interesting. What, what, That's the point I'm trying. That sure. was the point of this this rant for a half an hour. Was I? Th- I think the uh, I think the philosophical tangent we, uh, related tangent we just went on saved this episode. Thank God we had that. Um, <laughs> but like mm-hmm. my, my question about 2001, of course, because we were all pretty young in 2001. Were we reaching kind of a saturation point with raunchy comedies after American Pie or in that in this time period? I, I don't could that be why this kind of fell by the wayside? I I, I don't really remember. I don't I don't remember the timeline. That's what I'm saying. You know, I mean, you know, I think of like the '99 to 2001. Sure, you got your American Pie, Sugar and Spice, this. I, I don't know any others, but maybe I mean maybe that could be the case that this became so commonplace or seen as knockoffs of American Pie that they they didn't get a lot of attention, even if they were something unique, like like you, you're saying, Zach, they just get put into this category of, oh, it's okay, another one here. of those. Okay, I'll give you some examples of 2001 comedies. Not another teen movie. The Animal with Rob Schneider. <laughs> Super Troopers. Joe Dirt. Black Knight. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Evolution. How High. Rat Race. Zoolander. A Knight's Tale. Osmosis Jones, Scary Movie 2. Like, that's the... <laughs> monkey bone. Yes. Um, like, there's a like, lot of raunch in there. There's a lot of raunch in there, though. But, like, out of all of those, like, at the end of the day, what do you think is funnier? Rob Schneider pretending to be an animal or this? Like, the animal is a one-note premise. I, I don't I don't think that I would have liked the animal, but I never watched it, so I couldn't tell you. Um, like, have you ever seen Super Troopers? Like, the... Like, like to this, like they made a sequel like fifteen years later because that became like an unseen gem. Yeah, yeah, and there's Super a lot Troopers of raunch in there. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Super Troopers. I don't know. I'm kind. I kind of think with what the ones you listed, there's a lot of raunch. There's a lot of sex comedy stuff in there, and I, I think that maybe there was some saturation in in audiences of the time, or, or older than us, of course, that were going to see those things in theaters. Just a just a idea hypothesis. Well, and I, I also like. I don't think Jane Silent Bob was like particularly famous when it came out. No, but that okay. movie's funny as fuck, and like that's, <laughs> that's, that's yes. That's ben ben is our uh, Kevin Smith supporter on the podcast. <laughs> but like, okay, look at like the highest grossing comedies of that year. It's like Rush Hour Two. It's like that's Shrek. Not, it's not particularly raunchy. At, well, that's what I mean, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, you look at what was being primarily made at that time. Like American Pie Two was a big winner, but obviously that had kind of like sequel inertia behind it. And but this is also again, I'm not a lot of these are kind of just like rhetorical questions. I'm not looking for a literal answer from you guys. It's kind of like this questions we're going to be asking ourselves throughout the entire series. But like you look at a bunch of the movies that came out that that year and you have things like Freddy Got Fingered. Bomb. You've got Evolution. Bomb that we've already talked about. Rat Race. <laughs> bomb. Pootie Tang. Bomb. And like we will delve into like scary movie two and legally blind. And but that's the thing though, is that like it's weird that like two thousand one had a lot more comedic losers than winners. Sure, sure. Which is fair in anything. In, in most things in life, you'll always have more losers than winners. Mm-hmm. But it's just so much more pronounced, it looks like. Where okay. you only had like like the winners, like even the winners have kind of no footprint. Like legally blonde. Like like everybody knows that movie though. 
but nobody really holds it in that high regard anymore. Yeah. I would say the one that has a footprint is Shrek because it's a meme. Exactly. Uh, yeah. But, like, think about it. Like, even that fran- – there hasn't been a new Shrek movie in 11 years. So even that has kind of run as that ran out of steam a decade ago. I mean, you also kind of have to look at the uh, the situation of the economy at the time. Like, people enjoy comedies a lot more when life sucks, and people enjoy you know other types of movies when life doesn't suck as much. So, like in two thousand one, I don't like that was quite a ways removed from like the two thousand eight housing. But that's and shit. But that's the thing though is that next summer two thousand two, you're in the aftermath of of nine eleven. Uh, and I, I was young enough that I don't exactly remember the situation with the economy. I just bring it up because it does impact what people watch. Sure, sure, sure. But that's the thing. But if you still like, if you look at comedies from two thousand two, like you have Scooby Doo, the hot chick with Rob Schneider. <laughs> you have Rob Schneider is in another movie. <laughs> Rob Schneider is a carrot. Um, you have Jackass the movie, like Mr. Deeds. Austin Powers, Gold Member, like that's I mean, why. Post nine eleven, we needed a good laugh. The Adventures of Pluto Nash. Um, oh God, I still no. did laugh. <laughs> um, but, but like that's that's the point, though. I'm just trying to get at. It's just that, like, the idea of that, just like how comedy has become almost more of a mainstay nowadays than it was twenty years ago. Again, these are all just questions just to think they're they're meant to be provocative they're not meant for like ben give me an answer right now or else i'll shoot this dog it's not we're doing that (laughs) yes we're doing the uh the mad magazine cover (laughs) ben if i don't get an answer i'm gonna shove some cigarettes into a cat (laughs) okay make this like that's gonna be a poster for rob and i are gonna spend some of our uh, cinemani's patreon money on a billboard excuse me ow (laughs) ow hey all our names are on the podcast, Ben. They're all of our names. All Whenever the names. you come up with an idea like the Patreon, <laughs> yeah. it can be your hey. money. Hey. We are giving too much information on our money laundering scheme right now. <laughs> <laughs> we were getting a billboard. It's going to be – it's going to say – it's going to have a cat with like a bowl of cigarettes in front of it. It's going to say, Rob's going to make this cat eat these cigarettes or else you listen to Cinematis. <laughs> oh, God. No, it, it is. It's fantastically interesting, and this is exactly why when you were – on your hiatus from the podcast, Zach, that I wanted to do the spoof movies because I couldn't do sketch comedy again because we did that. Very, uh, you know, <laughs> I wanted to cover the spoof movies, and I really wanted to talk about these things with comedy. And if Ben remembers, because he was on the High Anxiety episode, that's what we did. That's why I had I found prop- Lashawn, probably the only person in existence that hadn't seen Airplane, and got him to watch it. And we talked about comedy from back then and today. It is wildly interesting. So I'm with you. I but we need her. but we fucking need concrete answers, Ben. Come on. <laughs> yeah, Ben. Why are you Mr. slacking on us? Mr. PhD, come on. We know you got your PhD in comedy. <laughs> uh, I, the only concrete answer I can give you is that the Patreon money is actually Rob's. It's not ours. <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna abscond with it. A lot, I'm, you're gonna so. you're gonna see like the PayPal account is drained, and I'm never gonna come back. Run off with my like sixty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> We made $60. Damn. Oh, man. No, I mean, I, like I said, I think this is this is the stuff that is saving this episode. Thank God we're talking about this and not this fucking movie. <laughs> I, I guess speaking of comedy, and if we do want to get back to uh, saving Silverman, as Ben mentioned and I mentioned, there were things that, you know, gave us some laughs in this. I think before I jump into some that I had, I did want to say that there's an, there's an error in this movie that makes it unwatchable. 
So, uh, you know the scene where Steve Zahn and Jack Black go to Amanda Peet's office and they want to talk to her? And she's like, it's $200 an hour. And they give her $7.38. Oh, she gives them two, two and a half minutes. It should be two minutes and 13 seconds. I know. I... Unfucking believable. This movie is unwatchable. Put the put the is cinema it? sins thing in here. What, how many sins we given this? Sixteen billion sins to this movie for that one so scene. Is it is it wrong when she gave that and she's like two hundred dollars an hour? We have that cha- amount of money. I actually did the calculation as well, and I'm like, I did. yeah, I did. I, did I the immediately did the calculation. I'm like, when when she grabs the timer, I definitely thought she was grabbing a calculator to figure yeah! out how much. I thought I thought the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then she just like said it was two and a half minutes, and I was like, whatever. The movie didn't didn't do the math. Yep. To be fair, though, like on a timer, you really can't do seconds that like accurately. So like two and a half I mean, minutes, like maybe a two thousand one timer. <laughs> <laughs> I I guess in that same scene, now transitioning into uh, let, let's you know let's get see if we can try and get past the uh, that egregious error in this film. I know we're all fuming about it, but in that same scene, I do have to say an absurd thing that did work for me. Steve Zahn has a picture of his family with him as a baby mid fall. (laughs) That's, that's pretty crazy. And I liked that. (laughs) Yeah, that that was, I have to agree. That was pretty good. Uh, my, my favorite line in the movie is probably, uh, either the, the quote that I mentioned, the whiny, the, the, the victim's whiny family is protesting from Arlie Ermey. But I did get a laugh when, um, uh, Jason Biggs and Amanda Peet show up at the house to, for like the 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 game. They're gonna watch football or something. And I think Steve Zahn is like, you know, what can I get you to drink? And Amanda Peet says scotch on the rocks. And he goes, no problem. You want ice with that? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I was like, was Jack Black. Oh, okay, one of them. I'm sure one of them. But I, to, that, okay, to be honest, I'm not sure. It, yeah, so. and I'm like, that is something I want to use one day. Like I want to say that to somebody if they ask for a drink on the rocks. I go, okay, you want ice? <laughs> It's the, it's the little things. It's the little things. Ben, did you have any anything that stuck out for you that you, you got a laugh at in this movie? Well, now that you mentioned the little things, I, I can't say that I would have rather finished that movie because I did have to stop halfway through it because I had to go to sleep. Uh, the, <laughs> the little things. Um, then watch this movie. But no, I, so... Uh, there, there were... Fun fact, this is a better movie than The Little Things. Fun fact, I would wholeheartedly recommend this over The Little Things. Ooh. Uh, so, I mean, for the, after the first hour, I like the little things, but uh, I haven't watched the second hour. Things that stuck out in this movie, Judith being able to fight really well was interesting, I guess. Yeah, she beats up uh, Arlie Ermey, and yeah. the movie uh, does performs another cardinal sin by playing a cover of ELO's Evil Woman by the Vandals. <laughs> And it's terrible, and I hate it, and I wanted to once again make myself deaf because the early 2000s did not meet – like I feel like people – Hollywood in the early 2000s was like, oh, there's a really popular song that fits this moment. Let's get a terrible band to cover it in a genre that it does not belong in and put it in a movie. I, 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 didn't, I didn't care. I didn't care for that. You also can't cover ELO songs. It's a crime. Um, it should be a war crime. 
I do have to say, though, I have a favorite scene in this movie, and it's one you mentioned earlier, Zach. The scene where oh. Judith escapes the first time, and they're, like, chasing her down in the, uh, in the truck. The only reason I like this scene is because we get a needle drop of a Harvey Danger song. Anytime oh, a movie plays a Harvey Danger song, it, it gets bumped up. Uh, the song was Authenticity. And so I was very happy to hear that. But then they lose all their goodwill by covering ELO a few scenes later. So, you know, I take what I can get, I guess. <laughs> I, have a music, I have a music question for you, Rob. What is your opinion on Alien Ant Farm's cover of Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal? Oh, I haven't heard that in so long, but I think it's... Oh, I, I actually don't dislike it because it's heavier than the original, of course. And I also might Indeed. I might say that that's the one that more people know these days. It's definitely yeah, the probably. first one I knew of. Okay, okay. Dung, 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 yeah, I, I also, I don't know if Ben picked up on the Harvey Danger needle drop because they cut the lyrics out. If they had the lyrics in there, which they should have, we would have got to talk more about Sean Nelson, Ben. <laughs> and as, of course, uh, Ben and I are, are full proponents of uh, Make Good Choices. The album and actually making good choices. <laughs> don't come near me, make good choices. Most people hate their friends. So, so uh, I, I also wanted to a, a very small moment that I think this was after I started losing my mind when Amanda Pete was chained to the lawn chair with the catcher's helmet on. We get the scene of like the doorbells going off when Arlie Ermy is just showing up, but we don't know it's him yet. And Steve Zahn goes to Jack Black and he's like, "Why didn't you get the door?" And Jack Black's like, "I'm eating." What does that mean? You can't get the door? And they do stupid banter back and forth about how Jack Black doesn't answer the door while he's eating. He's reading something while he's eating, and from what I could tell, it's a booklet from a PlayStation game. Like, it's, it's one of the manuals that would come in the jewel case for a PlayStation 1 game. This sounds right. And I'm like, what the fuck is this movie? What has happened to me? <laughs> what has happened to my mind? Am I hallucinating? Because then the next thing is Arlie Ermey shitting in a bush, taking out mail so he can wipe his ass. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Perfect. Perfect absurdism. It's delightful. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Rob, you're just giving me more reasons to recommend. Like, like there's like a point. Like, you know, what I'm kind of tempted to do. Like, I asked something. I asked something very unique. I'm going to do. When you asked me what snack oh God. for this movie, I asked something unique. I plan on doing instead. But let's carry on until then. Okay. I'm actually going to copy it immediately after he does it, so he can't call it unique anymore. <laughs> That's fine. And I also, okay, Rob, you do pick. Considering what movie we talked about last week, wink, wink. You do know what they're doing by having the catcher's mitt on Amanda Pete's face, right? Yes, and even Jack Black says at a certain point that she has super – she's like an evil psychiatrist like Hannibal Lecter. Yep. Yep, yeah. which I found interesting. All and also I guess we should say I – I know we didn't mention it earlier. Uh, we also didn't 
I don't think we mentioned it last week. Once again, wink, wink. Maybe Ben can fill us in if we talked about this last week with Hannibal. <laughs> but these two movies premiered the same weekend. Yep. So Hannibal, yep. Hannibal, of course, beat the shit out of this at the box office because why wouldn't it? So, yeah, I guess we should say that, that, you know, this this movie has some, you know, connection to what we did last week. That's why it's a great trilogy. Like I said, it's our Hannibal sandwich. Mm-hmm. Hannibal sandwich. <laughs> <sighs> Pistol whip. <laughs> oh, God. But, yeah, that's the thing. Like, there's so many moments. Like, we even talk about the whole Neil Diamond thing. Like, they actually well, got Neil Diamond to show up in this. Yes. Well, points. That, I, that was something I, I was waiting to focus on, and I guess we should get to it. There's a whole nother movie in the last 15 minutes of this movie. The last 15 minutes of Saving Silverman go at a fucking breakneck pace. They break out of prison. They get Sandy from the convent. They kidnap Neil Diamond. Amanda Peet and Steve Zahn fall in love. Jack Black and Arlie Ermey get married all in 15 minutes. Like, yep. it is just like, fucking go! They're like, go! Let's do it! And I'm like, oh and the my movie, god! And the movie ends with a Neil Diamond concert. Yes, and they're all uh, they're all performing <laughs> they're all at singing it. singing on stage. Yeah, and we get uh, we get all our actors' names under them at the concert, and the the editing is so weird. It's like them moving in in slow motion in the foreground, but in the background they're like in stutter motion or something. Yep, it's yep. it's just absolutely insane. And yeah, the whole uh, I did read somewhere in my research that Neil Diamond in an interview said he was dragged into this movie kicking and screaming. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I wouldn't want to be in this movie, Neil Diamond. <laughs> why? Did you say why? how he was? Yeah, writing? I'm curious. Uh, no, that that's the only little quote that I read in like a, a retrospective of this movie. Um, but I don't know if it was like serious or not because I don't know if you any of you guys saw. He wrote, uh, he wrote and composed a new song for this movie called "I Believe in Happy Endings," and I think it plays over the credits. So I, I don't fucking know. I mean, Neil, who knows, Neil Diamond. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a huge Neil Diamond fan, so I don't really know too much about him. Yeah, uh, God, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh God, I mean, it's 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 definitely a doozy. I'll give you that. I mean, Zach, do you like like the butt implant scene? Is that is that up there for you? But that's okay. But this is the thing that's funny though about this movie. So like, you don't really have this. Any, like, this is another, okay, another element of things you can't do anymore in movies. You can no longer have the plot element, or as Rob likes to call it, trope. Of having like the manipulative girlfriend. Like remember, women are not remember, women are no longer like women don't do anything wrong in the culture now. Like, remember, that's like when it comes to entertainment culture, women don't do anything wrong. I was so thinking about of, that when I was watching it, that this movie would not be made the same way because the woman can't be toxic. Exactly. And that's the thing, is that like she's a manipulative bitch for all intents and purposes. And like, look at all the things. It's like like he's like, Okay, we've been together for six weeks. He gets her a piece of jewelry and she's like, Oh, and like just slams it shut and throws it like on the dresser. And he's like, So I'm thinking maybe we could finally ha- get intimate. And she's like, mm-hmm. You wanna have sex? And he's like, Well, I was thinking that and she's like, Well, I don't believe in premarital sex. Like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> then she's like, Well, there are other ways we can sit there. And I have to admit, this is kind of clever how it's filmed. Like she gets down on her knees. Yeah. And he kind of follows her in suit. And then she just like forces his head down. And she's like, and like next shot is like him like massaging his jaw. And she's like, That was wonderful. And he's like, Well, maybe we could reciprocate the favor. Yeah. Yep. And she's like, Oh, where are my manners? And she like just throws him a bottle of lotion, like a dirty magazine. And she's <laughs> yeah. like, "Good night." And next thing, like, yeah, like, yeah, that's comedy. Like whether you find it funny or not, 
that is comedy. Sure, sure. And it's like it's all above board. There's nothing really overly raunchy about that. It's all like plays out in the theater of the mind. And like this is sort of thing that like, I find interesting that like how on earth did eight year old me find this movie funny? Because a hundred percent of that was over my head. A hundred percent of it. And then even when you have the moment where like after he goes over to like um like uh, he brings Judith to uh, Jack Black and Steve Zahn's house and she's like, You are never to see them again. He's like, What? And she's like, Don't make me take away your sex privileges. And I'm like, What? Sex yeah. privileges? And she's like, You will not be able to go down on me for a month. And he's like, Come on, Judith. He's like, Don't make me take away your masturbation privileges. Yep. And it's like <laughs> I'm like, that's like you're playing into the joke of the movie. Of yeah, the her, her toxicity, absolutely. Like they go they they get at that. Uh, I think also that's that's pretty interesting. Like we were saying even earlier, Ben was saying that it's like she is evil, you know, and she is controlling, and she she is all over him and toxic and and completely brainwashes him. Oh, but yeah. that's but I don't think. But this is the thing, though. It's like we're so used to those sort of things in, in today's culture. I don't think it's either one of those things because everybody in the film is given the most part some backstory. Like we found out, like Jason Biggs's character is one of those guys who's always been rejected by women, so he obviously falls in love with the first woman that shows him anything, any slight hint of emotion. Mm-hmm. So like that, and we also see her thing later on in the film. It comes a little later, but like she obviously had a point where she was with a very, very dominant man, and she was hurt by the fact that he was killed in a very bizarrely comical scene. Um, <laughs> the Asian man just going, he caught a dead. The neck neck breaking, right? Yeah, it explains why she is the way she is. Like, the yep. only thing I will concede, obviously, her romance with Steve Zahn, but at the same time, it kind of makes sense that, like, think about it. Like, sure, Steve Zahn is, like, a gonzo weirdo in this, but he also, in order to protect his friend, kidnapped his fiance, faked her death in order to kind of put Jason Biggs and Sandy in the same room together mm-hmm. and to show him kind of the wrong of his ways. Like, just because you want affection doesn't mean you have to settle. Like, the movie, like... For, like outside of like the Jack Black like like what would you call it Rob like a Z plot yeah. you kind of <laughs> sit there like like for for the most part is pretty well intentioned like it has a pretty good moral to the stories like don't settle we'll all find somebody that at least we're compatible with like is it an ideal matching no but that's unrealistic and I think it does have a pretty good message on top of this absurd level of comedy to it. I do, I do like that in you know with Jason Biggs' character and his relationship with Amanda Pete, but also even on on Sandy's perspective, you know she feels like the the taking her vows and becoming a nun is the is the way to go, and that's also like no, don't settle or make this huge commitment type of thing because there might be something else out there. It's it, it, it's 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 interesting, I guess. Yeah, I think this and that's what kind of like, and I know like we've talked about this a lot over the years but it's like you have these movies and like it's more than just a boner comedy and i know we're definitely gonna get into that definitely with freddie got fingered in a couple weeks but like people have to stop examining films on a superficial level and i think that if there ever was one lesson to take away from cinematis is that like never examine something exclusively at its surface sure but uh but zach they're jewels i got you a bag of jewels I don't want jewels, Gordy. I just want to suck your cock. <laughs> oh, God, that's another. That's beautiful. another movie Ben's gonna have homework for. If he has any <laughs> negative thought about Freddy Got Fingered, we're gonna ban him. <laughs> oh, that's that's for certain. That is for freaking certain. Well, Freddy Got Fingered is like it is Geely level. Oh God, it is per it's cinematic right. perfection. 
So you mentioned the Jack the Jack Black Z plot. I definitely wanted to talk about because he's he's doing his shtick with overacting when it's like he has the breakthrough that he's gay. Like that whole scene where he's like whining and like crying and bawling. Like it's definitely like you know total Jack Black. I always knew I was different, and now I know why. I'm gay. You're the only person who's ever truly understood me. It's okay. Just let it out. I do have to say when he like just drops to Steve Zahn casually that he's gay Steve Zahn's like wait what and <laughs> Jack Black lists a bunch of things he's like yeah I'm gay you know like this this one of the things he 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 mentions when he's explaining that he's gay is his love for track lighting and I'm like, uh, that got me a little bit because I'm like, I guess if you know, if you, if, if a theater joke, I imagine is, is what that is at its bare minimum. <laughs> but like, you can also, like, if you don't get that, like, even if that's not what their intention was, which again, I would, like, who do we tweet to? Do we tweet to Dennis Dugan? Like, 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 how do we get him on the podcast to figure out the intent of some of these jokes? But like, I think it's even like, you could just even pawn that off on irreverence. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Speaking speaking of Dennis Dugan, one thing I didn't mention earlier that I, I have to – I just remembered it. In my research for Dennis Dugan, I, I absolutely love that I found on his IMDb page one of his trademarks as a director is listed as, quote, characters getting hit in the face by an object. <laughs> and I'm like, that's fairly accurate because Steve Zahn in a very stupid scene gets a raccoon to the face at the start of this movie. Ah. <laughs> uh salsa to the face at some point yes the yeah the other slapsticky bit where jack black is like i'm gonna get this chair to recline i swear it just gets stuck it's the lug nut and then like amanda pete goes flying and gets covered in yes yeah, salsa like you said Con- condiment condiment absolutely spray beer all over that was that was one thing I, I really enjoyed uh the characters like they're like shaking up their beers and they're they open them and then they drink like the one gulp that's left in the can and then crush it like they're all manly. That was that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. They even do the I think at the the beginning they do that cut where it's like, you know, they it shows them in high school and then they go, "And now we're all grown up." And it's a shot of three of them shaking beer and drinking it like in a driveway type of thing. Yeah. That's that that's that early 2000s relic for sure. I I just had to mention that about Dennis Dugan. If you think about like Adam Sandler goofball comedies, Characters getting hit in the face by an object. Absolutely, that is that is how I would describe it. <laughs> I'm surprised it's not the groin. Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess we got to edit IMDb for Dennis Dewey. <laughs> There's actually a wrong trivia fact for Saving Silverman. I know at one point in the movie he tells um, like the team Arlie Army, he's like, oh, "Guys, if you can dream it, you can do it." Yes. And like on IMDb, it's like, "Oh, that was a quote by Walt Disney." It's not Rob. Are and to you tie this back? Telling me. That IMDb trivia is not the bastion of truth we know it as? Yes, Rob. Oh I am telling you that. God. But it connects to something we discussed nearly two years ago on this podcast. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm just reeling from this information. <laughs> I thought IMDb <laughs> trivia was like the SCP sheaf of papers or the word processor of the gods. If we put it there, it's true. <laughs> like, like how, can, how are you telling me there's something false? On something that is policed less than anything on the internet. <laughs> all right, all right, Mr. Sarcasm. You really think someone would second. do that? Go on the internet and tell lies? <laughs> Mr. Sarcasm, put it in your pants for a second. Put, dump some cold water on yourself. <laughs> but you know where that quote does come from? 
It is a it is a Disney quote, but not Walt Disney. Yeah, it sounds familiar. I know. I'm sure we've discussed it to some extent. On the ride, Horizons oh, from Epcot. Okay, that was what was in the queue as soon as you walked in. If you can dream it, you can do it. Which we talked about in the Hoot and Chief story. Oh, okay, okay. It's all connected, Rob. It's all connected. See, the 2001 Fort Year. There's been traces of it. We I was seeding <laughs> the audience for this for years. It's been there all along. You had, you had you had no. It's kind of like the Zodiac, like like cipher. Like it was there all along. You had to decode it the right way. <laughs> I like that. It was baked in. It's been baked in since day one. Oh God, it's day yeah day one probably. You're right with nine eleven. Like you said, that's a good point. <laughs> exactly. It's been here all along. It was going to happen. It's like I don't know. After we after we do Jeepers Creepers, Rob. Like where does this podcast really go? Like like sure we'll do Henry Selleck, but like. Well, that's Come when we're. On. Well, Jeepers Creepers is probably when we're going to get truly canceled because of who directed Pedophile. that movie. Pedophile. Pedophile. I remember Zach. There was some episode where we talked about Jeepers Creepers like tangentially, and you were like, <laughs> and you were like, that dude, that dude's like a pedophile, and I was like, oh really? Because I didn't know the story or at least very well. And then when I was editing the episode, I was like, I should look into that. And for some reason, when you mentioned that to me, I was like. Oh, you know, he probably, you know, he directed this movie, some other movies, and then he gets in trouble, and then he gets convicted. He got convicted, like, ten years before he directed that movie. <laughs> and I was like, holy and, shit! <laughs> and the best part is that the internet didn't discover that until, like, 15 years after the second movie came out. That's the strange part. The internet just somehow just discovered... It was one of those things the internet just kind of glommed onto one day. It was like Marilyn Manson's. Like, they just discovered <laughs> now that he could, that he was responsible for Columbine. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. I mean, what a what a time to be alive. 2001 and Rob, now. <laughs> Rob's like, are you telling me the internet is lying about something? Is that the people of the interwebs have been misled? <laughs> God. Oh, God. This movie. These what a movies. horrible time to be alive. Jeez. I, I think that's all I had for Saving Silverman. I'm glad we got philosophical about it. That's what this needed. Any other thoughts on Saving Silverman? I mean, Ben, I mean, let's... let's uh, how many times let are you going to watch it chain. today? <laughs> let, let, let Ben off the chain. Let him complain about this. Yeah, ben, is Ben going to go on a rant about Saving Silverman? Better movie, this or Way of the Gun? No, no, hold on. Rephrase. Better movie, this or the opening scene of Way of the Gun? Opening scene of Way of the Gun. Okay. <laughs> the characters weren't believable. That sucked. Uh, that's tough for me. It feels like a... I don't want to say they're unrelated because obviously they're related by the story elements, but... The movie felt like a mishmash of scenes that. What? Just... Oh, hold on a second. Can I time out for one second? Uh oh. Which cut did you guys watch? Because there is the unrated cut that actually there's. I remember what as I was watching it yesterday. I'm like, oh wait, like this wasn't there, and it added some like. Did you guys? This is the scene that's the most pronounced to me. Did you see Jason Biggs and Sandy in the laundromat? No, no. I'm pretty sure we. I I was only able to find the theatrical because this movie was actually not the easiest to find or at least there weren't many sources for it but ours was the one that clocked in a little under 90 minutes okay i don't i didn't even know there was an extended cut until i saw what i watched i didn't know until and, i did my research and read it after the i watched the movie and i was like there's no way i'm I trying said, to find that sure i didn't mean to interrupt you ben it's just because like there was things like as i was watching i'm like i don't remember this though but it kind of made like it made slightly more sense it went from like a point okay. one to a point like one five like one five but like i definitely read that in the extended version the death of amanda pete's kickboxing boyfriend is extended in the version we watched he basically just hits the ground hard i know that i read that there's actually like it shows his neck breaking much more in a much more gruesome oh, way okay. i think is what i read i i didn't remember that okay. I, I, I watched it and like it's exactly how i remember it like there's a couple okay. of scenes here and there that were like it felt like more deleted scenes 
than anything else. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember the death. I remember that death scene originally. Because, again, I had the VHS, but, like, I don't remember it being different. Like, it's exactly how I remembered it from, like, 19 <laughs> years ago. Yeah, I think the extended edition, from what I read, is only a few minutes longer. So, like you said, that deleted scene stuff it, probably... It fills it a couple of things in. Okay. Is not, it just it, it flushes things out a little bit more. Nothing meaningful, but, like, just enough where you're like, oh, I get it. Because, like, there's the scene... The long... I was about to ask, in the extended edition, is there a reason that Jack Black and Steve Zahn just, appa- just randomly start using a war cry? eventually because that threw me off when they crash the engagement party and they get kicked out they're like you know we're gonna yeah. save you jason biggs blah blah, blah. and then they go Wah! or something like that and i'm like Coming and they do it like six yeah. times and i'm like what i'm like where the fuck did this come from <laughs> hey this isn't over yet we're not giving up on darren yeah! Come on, yeah! that is not explained okay, i remember that so... like i remember that like they're outside getting thrown out and they're just like Coming around, yeah! it's like okay <laughs> Yeah, I I got so confused because I'm like, wait, why wasn't this established like when they were all like related to the football team in high school? Like, wouldn't that have made sense that it's like they were the three friends? You had the the cheerleader, the mascot, the football player. They would all have their war cry for when something good happened. But instead, it just comes out of nowhere when they get kicked out of the engagement party. And they also mistakenly think that the dudes in suits that Jason Biggs literally just met are like their replacements. Like, I think even Jack Black is like take that fake Wayne and like punches the dude. And I'm like, this makes yeah. no fucking sense in the context of this movie. It, it just meant they're stupid. They just think they're being replaced like that. And that's what they're, <laughs> that's what it's supposed to be, but they're stupid. Like I have to realize like every character in this film, except for maybe Sandy is stupid. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Her, her character trait is she has large eyes. <laughs> her character trait is that she's just meant to be good person. Like that's it. Oh, speaking of Sandy and I, I was trying to, block this out of my memory is the nuns weightlifting the stupidest thing we've seen i hated that yeah yeah it's dumb it's dumb it's meant to be like oh isn't this crazy the nuns have their own gym yeah and it's like this old lady's lifting weights whoa in in the one scene sandy's like bench pressing 135 pounds and then the nuns are shoulder pressing it which is significantly more impressive (laughs) she has more she has more jesus power then Apparently. <laughs> oh my god but yeah there's a bunch I, again i could go through this movie beat by beat like i love the thing where like uh, steve zahn calls arlie ermey he's like come on coach bail us out it's only ten thousand apiece he's like no way <laughs> and he's like but coach but coach they're sodomizing us what <laughs> they're cornballing you <laughs> don't worry guys i'll be there I'll, don't worry boys i'll be there in a moment <laughs> and jack black is like this somebody's you it's like somebody's making you their girlfriend i want to meet him and it's like, okay, early 2001, let's gay humor. There we go. <laughs> I found that really funny, though. I found that, like, you have to realize, this stuff, again, Rob, you know, and our audience is quite aware, but, like, I live in the early 2000s. Yes. Like, oh, I, yeah. I might be in 2021, but mentally, I'm still in 2002. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I guess the, I the other, the other back. I want to go back. Thing... I want to go back to 2002. Ben, uh, ben and Rob. <laughs> the only the only thing I think that I wanted to last mention when we mentioned the gay stuff is that there's one little bit at the beginning where Arlie Ermy is like, "Don't he's sending oh. the football t- the football team? He's like, stay away from women. You know, if there's any urges that you can't numb with alcohol, then use your hand." And then that's all we get. And then at the very end, he's just like, "I'm gay," and I'm just like, "That that's it. That's all we're gonna get." Well, that's I mean, it's breakneck speed, the- yeah. It's gay humor. It's just like, it's like, oh, I'm gay too. And that's what I mean. It's like they kind of forgot about those two characters. And you're like, okay, just put them together. <laughs> oh, God. If you can't suppress your urges with hard liquor, 
use your hands. Words to live by. <laughs> is that the lesson from Doctor? Is that Sterling ha- Sterling Hayden's lesson from Doctor Strangelove? Women are trying to steal your essence. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, it's like, and the only way to do that is like through like what like grain free alcohol. Yes, absolutely. Oh god. <laughs> there's there's a Venn diagram somewhere, and it's like Doctor Strange loves saving Silverman, and there's like the most minuscule overlap in <laughs> that joke. All right. Well, I'm 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 all out now. Anything else from you guys on saving Silverman? I guess the question is, did we save Silverman? Did we do it this I episode? Did. I did. I did. I don't know about you two, but I did. <laughs> ben is shaking his it's saving and Silverman and semi-automatics. <laughs> yes. That sounds oh, God. Well, if, if there's nothing else, then I guess I'm ready for uh, for the questions. Yes, across the board. Oh, God damn it, Zach. <laughs> yes, across the board. There is no... Okay, I guess cinematic. Yes, across the board. It, well, I guess for late night for you, I'm asking: Is this going to be a Ludovico technique? Are you? Are you? Uh... I if you uh, this is what don't me wrong. Like this is not high like in the ranking. Like as we know, like Box Lux, those sort of things are like my go to late night movies. But like, I am definitely going to rewatch this in a few years, and I'm go- I, I'm going to get to the point where I forget all. Like Rob knows, I get to a point where I forget everything about the movie, and then I go back into it. And I'm just like dying, and I'm almost getting to that point with things like the Book of Hank and then Women and Children. Enough time. I'm starting to figure out like it takes three to four years to elapse. Then I start to forget the intricacies of the films. We're all. I have to do that. Like every three to four years, I will revisit this and I will laugh my butt off. Okay. I also yes. have. I also. I also have a third testicle. <laughs> Well, I, I think I'm going to completely disagree with Zach. I'm going no for Cinemodities. Uh, this has that absurdity, but it doesn't reach the level that I appreciate. It falls flat for me, uh, and I think that's why I'm saying no. Even though I think, Zach, you made some good points about its uniqueness and it's the phil- philosophical concepts we discussed, so I'll give you that, but I'm still going no. And there's absolutely no... This is another Sugar and Spice. It's not as bad as Sugar and Spice, I think, like I've said, but there's no way I would subject anybody to this movie late at night. Like, I mean, when we have things in the canon, like Freaked Already, we're gonna get Freddy Got Fingered. No. No, no, no saving silver. Okay, but this this brings up a very poignant question, though, considering that we're going on three years now. Just because we have those things in the canon, does that mean lesser things should automatically be disqualified? Uh, I wouldn't say automatically disqualified, but I I think that there – I guess maybe the way that I've thought about it is that there are um, – this might not be the exact way, but but for the sake of – lack of a better term, maybe there's like finite amount of space for certain things like a comedy or like a thriller or something along those lines. Because if we are going to start limiting things based on, like, the Freddy Got Fingered scale, like, literally nothing else. It's Freddy Got Fingered, and that's it. Like, like that is in its own – like, the only thing I could genuinely think of that could possibly rival Freddy Got Fingered might be Gigli. That is the – and that would be a dark horse contender at that. Sure, sure, sure. I guess I, I do split it up maybe by genre, by feel, by type of movie because – you know, I think Freaked and Freddy Got Fingered are both very funny, but they're very different movies. So, so yeah, I think things like that. But that that is an interesting topic for sure. Uh, but I'm going no to both. God damn it, fucking Saving Boo. Silverman. Boo. Ben, would you like to surprise us with a with an eleventh hour switch to? I hey guys, I actually love this movie. <laughs> I'm watching uh, that, it right that now. Me into it. <laughs> I I will give it that it's odd. Oh okay. But I would recommend this movie to no one. So you're split, Ben? Yeah, I'm split. Interesting. I'll interesting. It. I'll okay. take it. I'll take that too. I like that when we have uh, we have one person on one end, another person on the other, and someone in the middle. That's always that's always appropriate. 
I find it fascinating that over three years, like like Rob and I, is like the poles have switched, where like I've become the more unconventional one, and Rob's going more toward like the conventional opinions on certain things. We're like Zach, no, like this stuff. I'm like Rob, Gigli's the masterpiece. Gigli, giggly, giggly. Gonna go down to Marie Callender's, get myself a big bowl of pie with some ice cream on top of it. That's not put it on your head. Thing. So good, your tongue will bust through your skull to get to it. You want to come? That's not. E- <laughs> That's not even the weirdest thing in that movie. Oh, no, absolutely not. No, not at all. That's the strange thing. That's not the weirdest thing that happens. A man gets shot, like, in the face in that movie. The fish, the fish eat his brains. Yeah, absolutely. It's the Baywatch, the, Austro- the overly pale, like, blind, like, beach babe. <laughs> like, nothing in that movie makes sense. I, I don't remember the Ben Affleck's quote about him being, like, the OG gangster, but that's another great quote. That's so long come, ago, I can't remember. Come lay some of this... Heterolingus on me. Heterolingus, that's what he calls it. Yes, heterolingus. She calls it. Oh, God. Gobble, gobble. Well, look at that perfect timing. Ben just got food for our snack discussion. <laughs> look, okay. Well, I think that brings us to snacks. And I have to say, we have never discussed if we have like a pest control force for the restaurant. Mm. I would like to introduce one because clearly we don't want any infestations, at least in, you know, the, the intentional, main... Un- unintentional infestations. Unintentional. That's a good way to put it. Unintentional infestations. Our pest control force, we have to have Steve Zahn's tranquilizer guns with the shoulder stock. Like, oh, I, yeah. I found that hilarious that he has a tranquilizer gun with the shoulder stock. So it, I was like, the first time it shows up in the raccoon scene, I was like, is this a legitimate gun? Does he actually have like a, like a little rifle or something? But it's it's great when he's running around in the raccoon scene and then in the house when they're kidnapping Amanda Pete and he's you know like a military dude all dressed up with a camo. That got a little laugh out of me. So tranquilizer guns with shoulder stocks are a necessity for our pest control force. Pest control or for all weight staff? Probably. <laughs> Is this another thing we're putting on like the um the their utility belt of sorts? <laughs> Of sorts, yes. Okay. I could get behind that. I mean, I just love the imagery of, of a tranquilizer gun that built up, you know, uh, on a with waiter, attachments. On a waiter. Yeah. I love that, having waiters at a restaurant with tranquilizer guns. They'd be like, what is going on here? <laughs> I, uh, I think an- another one, um, I have, I have, I have uh, one more specific food item, and then there's some that kind of branch out with uh, other things. But I, the scene where Jack Black takes the whole plate of nachos and Steve Zahn's like, dude. And he's like, if the nachos stick together, it's one nacho, you know, I think we should serve a nacho dish, maybe called the one nacho dish. And it's a massive amount of tortilla chips and they're grafted together with cheese that is hard as concrete. So they can, they physically cannot be separated. (laughs) And so it's like, you just have one big, like tortilla pizza almost, you know, it's like just stuck together. And I think that'd be pretty cool. I mean, the cheese would probably be hard enough too hard that you could even chew it but that's nothing new for the restaurant <laughs> what we do we use the cheese from the craft com- from the blockbuster commercial that's the plastic that's how we keep it so congealed it's melded together with cheese and yes. plastic okay okay i like that i like that so just so just slightly more plastic than your normal craft singles okay i i also have to say uh there's a, a scene where jack black brings a bunch of like videotapes to Amanda Pete because for something for her to do and he's like he's like I either got monster trucks or porno and there's one that's both. We need a Cinemodities video production of a monster truck and porno combo. Like I want to make that and sell it in the gift shop. What do you think? Isn't that just Southland Tales? 
<laughs> that's <laughs> Ben read my mind because I know I've told Zach that we get a scene where two cars have sex with each other, where one exhaust pipe turns into a penis, one turns into a vagina, and we see insertion. And the great joke from John La- or from the John Larroquette is. The, the guy's like, I'm not sure about this commercial. And he goes, don't worry, sir. It's the European version. And I am totally on board that we need to actually f- produce, film, everything, the monster truck and porno combo. And I want it to be like one of those old school, like full feature length porno. And we'll probably – we should sell it on VHS in the gift shop. Like don't even DVD it. The straight up VHS it. Straight up VHS it. Absolutely. And we'll we'll figure out the logistics later, like what to call it, who's directing it, who's starring in it, what what monster trucks we're gonna have have sex with each other. It'll be great. Uh and then I think the last one I have, which I think will kick off some some interesting stuff. That scene where Steve Zahn tries to feed Amanda Pete breakfast, but it's pureed. Mm-hmm. I would like to add the option for things on our menu to be pureed and served with a straw. Oh, and okay. I'm talking. I'm talking everything. You want your cigarettes Every- pureed? Go for it. You want your sun chip wrapper that's gonna you know cut up your intestines pureed? Go for it. Ev- uh, the option of pureeing things. That's what I'm thinking. I'm trying to think of other snacks we have Sky- that we would be that would be awesome to puree. Sky- but I love that idea. Sky's the limit. A- anything. It's an option. You know, for as I like to say in air quotes, a small fee. The small is in air quotes. The fee is definitely not in air quotes. That we have the option to puree the dish and serve it to the customer, and they have to drink it through a straw. And I think that would be wonderful. <laughs> what are some classic snacks that we could – the cigarettes I definitely thought of. So I think it was High Anxiety where I pitched the um, ever-increasing size of meals. like the. Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. So you just have like different sizes of pureed drinks. Okay. I could get behind that. Absolutely. Jeez, what, are we, what else do we have – I'm trying to think of some snacks. Well, I mean, cigarettes is stuck in my head because it comes up so often. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I think that's the way to go. That we have the option for uh, for pureeing things because who doesn't want to drink th- something through a straw? Absolutely. Those are my snacks. What did you guys have for for this one? Oh God, there's Arby's. <laughs> Which might be the most toxic thing on the menu. You know what? I'm I'm actually glad that you bring that up because when that scene when Steve Zahn has the Arby's burger. He pulled it out, and he's, like, feeding it to Amanda Pete, and that was one of the moments where I was like, god damn, early 2000s, that burger was fucking huge. Like, you ever see those yeah. things where it's like, this was the size of the Big Mac in this year, five years later, and, they, like, it keeps getting smaller and smaller? I saw the size of that, like, Arby's burger, and I was like, god damn. It was probably cheaper than that same burger today, and it was bigger. Yep. I'm, so you're probably not wrong, Zach. I want to go back to 2001 and just, you know, clog my arteries with cheap, giant fast food. <laughs> All right, Rob, I got going for you. Looking from our episode for uh, private parts, Ooh. we have concentrated juice syrups, a.k.a. flavor packets that are in the form of giant body bags that you can sit from. That's right. Okay, okay. Maybe – are you saying like we puree the body bag or we fill the body bag with puree? Either one. Okay. Choice. Okay. I like that. I could get behind that. Good old private parts. That's a great movie. <laughs> so you mentioned Arby's. Um, I think during that scene, he says something like they were throwing out food. So I, I think we could just go around to every like donut place and just get all the donuts that are thrown out at the end of the day and, and probably sell those. Okay. That, I like that. That's some recycling going on. That's good. You know? Reduce, reuse. He did recycle. say that. He's like, she's like, oh, you didn't have to get this for me. And he's like, I, well, I was in the neighborhood and they were throwing out food. So, and I'm like, oh, okay, I guess. <laughs> All right, I got another one 
from Mortal Engines. We have algae tea, dirty groundwater, a roll of salami wrapped in a red shawl and a Twinkie. Oh, that's perfect to blend together. Right on. That's that's perfect to blend together. Oh, God. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, pure pureeing is the way to go. That's the food of the future, I would say. I they were ahead so. of their time in 2001. Ben, ben did not like that. <laughs> <laughs> Ben's not impressed. Ben, that sandwich you just ate, wouldn't it have been better if you drank it? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know that I have too much else in the way of snacks. I mean, like tranquilizer darts. I, I yep. think for for sin e oddities, it'd be nice if we could get those stun gun things and like like the, the oh prods. the cattle prod the cattle prod yeah, yeah. yeah. And just like like kids fight each other with them. <laughs> okay, I like that. <laughs> It's probably not fatal to children. No, probably no. not. I mean, it can be for a certain extra uh, for a small feet. <laughs> yeah, for an air quote small feet. Yep. There's some dial on the taser, like to change the strength, and we put a little sticker that says like "Don't turn past here," but there's no lock on it or anything, so all the kids can just crank it up to the maximum. <laughs> uh, and something else, I think that for uh, a small fee, we could prepare some kind of formal party. That you get to wreck. Oh, like a, like a, we like we set up a crashing type situation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like the experience of throwing somebody off like a second story like level of a house and it lands in someone's car. I like <laughs> that, that. Like they're outside was the a restaurant. Terrifying scene. That was delightful. Oh yeah, she for, is for, screaming for so <laughs> much that that was definitely felt out of place. Where she is just like shrieking in that scene. I love it. <laughs> Because we love you. Oh, right. Because you love me. Yeah, man. Oh, come on. Give me a hug. It's on there. I love it. I want that as an experience. You have like we have like a balcony. Maybe we'll tie it into the balcony from Dread, where the kids are like skateboarding from like the like sure. 115th floor. Yeah. You have you throw you throw someone over a balcony and they land like on the cars they're trying to leave. Okay. Okay. I can get behind that. Absolutely. Oh God. Oh I, God. I had no great. other snacks. Did did we did we do it? Did we uh did we save Silverman? I think we did. I think we did. I saved Silverman. Ben helped partially. Rob, you did not. You are, you are not in this at all. <laughs> I was trying to push you, you Silverman back him. underwater. <laughs> yes, you did. You stepped on his head while he was drowning, and Ben and I came to the rescue. Oh, man. So so I guess um, we, we have to mention what we're doing next week. It's something that when Zach first pitched this podcast idea to me and we were, we were getting set up, it's still in the spreadsheet on my media tab. It's something... One of my favorite movies of all time. I'm so happy we're finally getting to it. Henry Selick's only live-action movie, Monkey Bone. It's going to be fantastic. I cannot wait to discuss this movie. Zach's excited as well, of course. I have my VHS copy and everything. Oh God, I'm so I'm so ready for Monkey Bone. And this is where we're finally... We did it. We got through our Hannibal sandwich. Now we're getting into the good stuff for the 2001 Fort year. It's, it's really going to kick off. I cannot fucking wait. So, with that being said, if there's no final thoughts, I guess then the question becomes, uh, how do we end this episode? And I'm going to make a hard stand for Authenticity by Harvey Danger in reverse, because that's the no! best song. Yes, Zach, it's the best Neil song Diamond. in this movie. Neil Diamond. That's the, that answer is too obvious. <laughs> Neil Diamond. 
Maybe I'll do a mashup or something. I want to play that that guy they get to like replace, like the Spanish guy they get to replace Jason Biggs in the band, <laughs> and he's like singing to that one like middle aged woman. I want that in reverse. Did you see what he's he was credited as? I can't believe we didn't talk about that. His actual credit is Vagi. V-A-G-E-E. Why not? Yeah. That's, <laughs> Why not? That, yeah I noticed that in the, uh, in the credits, and I was like, okay, Vagi. I guess that makes sense in this movie. But yeah, if you're right. the most inexplicable thing in the film. There has to be some Neil Diamond thrown in here, I guess. I get, you're right, but I don't like it, Zach. <laughs> mm. All right. Any, uh, any final thoughts? God bless early 2000s comedies. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to recover from this. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, oh, remember, you gotta tell the audience, Rob. What is Ben not supposed to do next week? Oh yes, for Monkey Bone, Ben Ben has to uh, has to have no negative thoughts about Monkey Bone. We are we will be a purely positive podcast next week, which we usually don't do. So either Ben will not be here, or Ben will be here, and I will mute his audio track, <laughs> and there'll be there'll be large swaths of silence, and then I, and then a beat for me going, "Hey kids, I cut out Ben's audio because it dropped out. There were some technical difficulties, but he said I love this movie, <laughs> and that's gonna happen like six times." How serious are you? Because I might just sit this episode out. You should watch Monkey Bone. I very much recommend it. I do honestly think you'll enjoy it. But you have to have exclusively good opinions. I am also serious. <laughs> I don't like being told I have to like movies. <laughs> I'm not going to watch it. That's good. It's a protest abstention from, from Cinemati. Oh, yeah. It's a fantastic dive into the mind of Henry Selick. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm, I'm so excited. Ben will like it. He will not love it. Ben will love it. Because we're telling <laughs> Ben to love it. We are we are hitting him with the cattle prod from the Sin Emodities portion of the restaurant. <laughs> no, I mean we no Ben. We're gonna implant a chip in your head, Ben, and we're gonna Harrison Berger on you when you have a negative thought about the movie. It's gonna shock it away. <laughs> Don't we have that already with Marvel? If we have a bad thought, it starts to shock us. Yeah, it works now. Yes, I only like Captain Marvel. It's okay. This is pretty good. It shocks you and it charges your credit card again. <laughs> <laughs> why is my disney plus why did my disney plus monthly fee go up was it always oh, because i said captain marvel was it went up again This blows, man. <laughs>